Thank the Lord for this opportunity. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation. While you're taking your Bibles and finding 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, can I say a word about tonight? While it is my desire to preach to the body of Christ in both services today, because after all, that's where revival begins. Amen? Revival begins with the body of Christ. I like what Vance Havner said one day. We wouldn't need to have revival if we just stay vibed, but we don't. And so we need revival, and we're going to be preaching to the believer in both services today. But tonight, we also want to preach a message to the lost. Tonight, I want to preach a message about the soon return of Jesus Christ. He's still coming. Did you know that? And we want to talk about that tonight. Bring somebody with you that doesn't know Jesus. Folks, there's something in the atmosphere that is causing us to focus on the eastern sky. And we're getting ready to go airborne. And we need to take somebody with us. Bring somebody with you tonight that doesn't know the Lord. But that's tonight. This morning I want to encourage the body here at Hillcrest Baptist Church with this message never give up. Never give up. You know what? I, I, I'm thinking if we were real honest with ourselves this morning, Brother John, we would admit that there are things and stuff in life that discourages us and disappoints us to the point that it disillusions us that sometimes we just want to go to the house, shut the door, lock the door, and not be bothered anymore. And while there are things that do that, can I remind the body of Christ there's one arena that we can't let that happen, and that is our commitment to serve the Lord Jesus Christ until the race is done. And that's what we want to talk about. The elder statesman Paul sat down and wrote a letter not of resignation, but of inspiration to a young preacher one day with the words, never give up, we want to talk about it. I'm going to be all over the chapter in just a moment, but right now we're looking at verses 6, 7, and 8, First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and if you're able to, would you stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God, 2 Timothy 4, find verse number 6. For I am already being all poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'm preaching on this subject, never give up. Would you be seated all over the building with your Bibles open in your laps? I love the story of the Minneapolis couple that was trying to get through another bitter cold Minnesota winter. They thought that maybe it would help to just talk about warmth for a moment. And so they planned, the couple did, a trip to the Sunshine State in the spring for a week at the beach. And you know, it, it, it was going to be a, just a short trip, and then it became seven days, and then they stuck a couple of weekends on either end of it, and it became a nine-day trip, and they couldn't wait to thaw out in the state of Florida. About a week before they left, the husband got word that he could get another day off, and 
he called his wife and he said, honey, let's make it a 10-day trip. And she said, honey, I don't think I can get an extra day off. So I tell you what, why don't you go on up to Florida the day before? Get everything ready for my arrival and I'll come the next day and we'll have a vacation of a lifetime. No talking him out of that. When Friday came, he got on the plane, went by himself, landed in Florida, got him a rental car, went to a five-star beachfront hotel, unpacked his clothes, checked in, unpacked his clothes, got everything ready for his wife's arrival. He thought he'd pull out a laptop and send her a message that he had made it safely. Grabbed his laptop, crafted an email, hit send, but he made a big mistake. He got the address mixed up and his email didn't go to his wife, but rather it went to a widow in Houston, Texas, who had just gotten home from burying her husband of 55 years. She was all bummed out because of the day and it was, she was ready just to just kind of get that day over with. And her family said, Mama, you haven't eaten all day. Why don't you just come and eat with us and maybe that'll make you feel better. And she said, no, you know, at the funeral, so many of my friends said that they were going to send me words of encouragement. I, I think I'm going to read my email and I think I'm going to kind of get encouraged and maybe that'll make me feel better. So she went to her laptop, opened up her email, and the first email appeared was from the Minnesota husband sending her an email by mistake that he planned to send his wife. She saw it, she read a few lines, and she fainted. The family ran over and they said, Mama, are you okay? And she came too. She was fine, but she kept pointing to the screen. And her family read these words. It went something like this. To my loving wife, from your dearly departed husband, subject, I have arrived. <laughs> and the email went something like this. Hey, honey, I've made it. I see that everything's ready for your arrival tomorrow. Oh, boy. <laughs> I miss you. I can't wait to see you. I hope your trip is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> hey, I've discovered something. Despite the vast improvements in communication in 2022, messages can still get messed up. They can still be misheard and misunderstood. I go to this church pastor uh, every year about three and a half hours north of my home in the northern part of Florida, and I love going to that church just like I love coming to this one. And I remember getting there, and I grabbed my code, and I grabbed my Bible, and I was heading to meet with the media people to get wired up and then meet with the pastor. Two students, high school students, blessed this old guy as they were about 35, 45, 50 yards apart from me on their way to Sunday school and they yelled out, Brother Ron, we sure are glad to see you. Can't wait to hear what God has to say to you. By the way, Brother Ron, do you TikTok? Now, I didn't understand what they said, so I said, try that again. And they said, TikTok. I thought they were asking for the time. And so I grabbed my phone and I said, you're late for Sunday school. You better hurry up. And they said, no, Brother Ron, TikTok. I said, oh, I got some gum, but I don't have any Tic Tacs. Isn't that amazing? It's like we're talking a foreign language, man. We don't understand in the, in the greatest day of communication. But I'm going to tell you what. 
There is a message out there that has not been misunderstood for some time. I want to talk about it just for a second, but I got to give you a disclaimer before I talk about it. I want you to know I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. I want you to know I'm not a negative preacher at all. Pastor, I don't like to talk about a problem without trying to find the solution of it. But at the same time, I have to speak the the, the truth in love, and here it is. Have you noticed that something has happened to commitment? I mean, all over the place, on glass doors of businesses, there are one ads, they need help, and nobody wants to work. Have you noticed stores that haven't shut down because of the pandemic are trying to survive to stay open despite the empty shelves because at the other end, boats are sitting at harbors ready to be unloaded by workers that aren't there to put them on trucks to be delivered by truck drivers that aren't willing to drive them. But I've got news for you. This lack of commitment isn't just being witnessed out there. It is being witnessed in the place of the house of God. According to George Barnard Group, do you understand that in the year 2000, the average church member went to church two times a week, and 20 years later, the average church member went to church two times a month? According to the George Barnard Group, are you ready for this? In that same year, 2020, do you know that more than 4,000 churches of different denominations, and you're not ready for this next statistic because I wasn't. And that year, Pastor, 2020, over 20,000 preachers quit the ministry. They didn't just resign and go to another church. They walked out and got another job somewhere else. So here's the news, guys. I'm not going to be here much longer because it's depressing me to talk about it. But pastors are resigning. Church staff workers are retreating. Church members are dropping out and church leaders are burning out. Some lose heart and some lose hope. Some leave church sad and some leave church mad. Some lose their joy and others help them lose their joy. And some stop fighting the evil one and start fighting one another. But this is as bad as it gets. Are you ready? Do you know that there's someone who wants you to quit worse than you want to quit? You know what his name is, don't you? His name is Satan and pastor. He wants every church to close its doors. He wants every preacher to close the book, never to preach from it again. Do you know that, Brother Troy, he wants every singer to drop the mic and walk off stage and never come back again? Time out before I depress myself, man, because I've got some good news to tell you. There's somebody else. His name is Father God, and he not only loves you more than you can imagine and never wants you to give up, but he left encouraging statements in his word, pressed toward the mark, Philippians 3.14, run the race with endurance, Hebrews 12.1, be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4.2. Do you know the word quit only appears six times in the word of God? Do you know that four times it has nothing to do with the word quit that we understand it means? And do you know the other two times, you know what it says, you guessed it, don't quit. Can I tell you the word of God doesn't even have a spiritual retirement plan for goodness sake. I was talking to my preacher brother a few weeks ago and we were talking on the cell phone. 
And all of a sudden, he wasn't there anymore. Don't y'all just love this thing? I'm going to preach on the soon return of Christ, Pastor, tonight. I may talk about this being the mark of the beast. I, I think that's what it is, man. I don't know how many times, Brother Troy, I want to throw it out my car window driving down the road. By the way, I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said, we are prisoners to our phones. That's why they call it a cell. Amen. <laughs> but pastor, I'm talking on it. And all of a sudden, my brother's voice isn't there. And I said, hello, 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 hello. And finally, he said, I'm still here. You know, I was working on this sermon when he called me. And I thought, that'll preach right there. I'm still here singing in the choir. I'm still here teaching that class. I'm still here serving my God. I'm still here preaching the word. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time that we as the body of Christ decided we weren't going to lay down, back down, give in or give up. I think it's time we told the enemy we don't plan to back away or drift away or go away or fall away until we fly away. We are in it for the long haul. Hallelujah. That's exactly what Paul is admonishing you and I to do as well as Timothy to do as we open up chapter 4. In fact, the very first verse, you know what he says? He says, live for Jesus every day because one of these days we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to explain to him how we live the Christian life. And what Paul is encouraging us to do, if we'll make every day count, that day will be a good day. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter and he talks to you and I and to Timothy specifically about never giving up. To seriously consider the work and walk for Christ, a lifetime commitment. A word that does not include quit in the believer's vocabulary. Timothy Paul says discouragements are going to come. People are going to do you wrong. You're going to run into phonies and fakes along the way. They're not going to like what you preach about and they're going to openly ridicule you for preaching the truth. Trials and tribulations are going to come. You're going to make mistakes and feel like quitting, but Timothy, you hang in there. So along the way, you might be a spiritual success and one day receive heaven's highest honor, the well done, good and faithful servant award. When you see Jesus face to face and he says, come on in servant, well done, good and faithful one. According to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am convinced that there are three things that are going to encourage us never to give up. Let's talk about it for a few moments. Number one, we must never give up because of the people around us. I think I'm going to say that again. We must never give up because of the people around us. Can I make an announcement? We need one another. And Paul so magnificently spells this out in the incredible fourth chapter. First of all, he encourages a young preacher named Timothy. Hey, Hillcrest, all of us in this room could use some encouragement. 
But can I tell you the guy that needs the encouragement most of the time, he's sitting right here. Brother John needs all the encouragement that he can get. Pastor, whenever I'm down and discouraged, whenever I'm empty and I need to be energized, whenever I need to hit the refresh button or the restart button, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 2 through 5 are a blessing to me. Now, Pastor, I wish I had all the time in the world to give you all those four verses, but can I give you the first two lines of verse number two? Y'all can eavesdrop if you'd like. I'm going to talk to the pastor for a moment, okay? Pastor, look at that first line in verse number two. Notice what it says. It says, preach the word. Brother John, preach the word. Not just some of it, but all of it. Not just the good parts or the parts that sound good, all of it because it's all good. And pastor, whatever you do, don't give these people just what they want to hear. You give them what they need to hear. Pastor, preach from Genesis to the maps, man, and wear that book out for the glory of the Lord. But then notice the second line, pastor. I love this. It says, be ready in season and out of season. The King James uses the word instant. Do you know what that word means? It means always be ready. Pastor, always be ready to preach the word with boldness and belief. Always be ready to preach the word with courageousness and conviction. And whatever you do, always preach the word knowing that the uncompromised message of the living God will never return void and it will change you change lives. Well, I'd like to hang out there and preach a while. But notice what Paul does. He talks to the disciple Timothy now. He gave a word of inspiration to the preacher Timothy. And now he's going to give a word of instruction to the disciple Timothy. And he does a magnificent thing, guys. Here's what he does. He spends the rest of the chapter encouraging Timothy on how to have proper relationships with people. In fact, from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, do you know what he does? He gives out 16 names. Watch this. Of people who were an encouragement to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, but who were also a discouragement to him. He spends a lot of time talking about people who were a blessing to him, but also people who were a burden to him. People who talked with him and tarried with him and loved him and learned from him, but he also talked about people who didn't help him because they were a handicap to him and hindered him without any help at all. So here's what Paul does. He gives us a wonderful glimpse from verse 9 to the end of the chapter about how important it is when we do this thing as a team and how difficult it is when we do this thing all by ourselves. So I'm not going to read verses 9 through 21 or the end of the chapter, verse 22. You take the opportunity to read it sometime. But let me summarize what Paul told Timothy about working with other people. He begins in verse 9 and repeats himself in verse 21, encouraging Timothy to come visit him in his prison cell. In fact, he says, get here as soon as you can 
And whatever you do, get here before winter. The travel lanes will be shut down because they'll be frozen over and travel will be very difficult. So Timothy, I need to see you as soon as you have the opportunity. Now Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to swing by and pick up John Mark. He'll be an asset to you and Luke, he's loyal to the core and the three of you, I'm wondering, would you swing by Troas and pick up my coat? It's awful cold in this prison. And you're going to meet Brother Carpus there, and he's going to give you some books for me to read and some paper for me to write on because it sure gets lonely in this prison. Now, Timothy, whatever you do in the future days, understand that there are other guys that are out there serving God and will help you. Tychicus, he's pastoring down at Ephesus and Brother Erastus is down there serving the Lord at Corinth. Eubulus will be a big brother, a big help. You need to find him and Pudens and Linus and Claudia. But Timothy, whatever you do, you've got to meet two people. A husband and wife team that were tin making colleagues with me back in the day, Aquila and Priscilla. Oh, they will be a blessing to you. Aquila and Priscilla were to me, Paul said, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were to Jesus. Anytime Jesus needed to get off the, the road and kick back in the easy chair and get a good home meal and lay down in a nice bed, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did that for him. And that's what Aquila and Priscilla did for me. And Timothy, Priscilla can flat dog fry some chicken, man. And you need to get in on that because I'm going to tell you this couple will be a blessing to you. But Timothy, I need to also warn you that while there are people that are still faithful, there are those that have fizzled. While there are people that still are serving Jesus, there are people out there that are serving themselves. Demas was once a faithful, fervent fighter. He's now become a faithless fallen foe. He once was a completer and he now, he's now a quitter. Christians and Titus couldn't stand the heat they had to get out of the kitchen. And whatever you do, Timothy, you better watch out for Alexander. You think he's going to stand with you and all of a sudden you're pulling a knife out of your back. He did much harm to my ministry and he'll do harm to you. Put it this way, Timothy, when I stood alone for my first court hearing, I stood there all by myself. So Timothy, will you get here just as soon as you can? Hey, church, you know what? Paul was saying, Paul was saying, I might have to fight my own fight, but it sure helps when others fight alongside with me. I might have to run my own race, but it sure is wonderful to look around and see people running alongside of me. I might have to keep my own faith, but it sure helps when others hold me accountable to do the very same thing. Paul needed others, and we do too. I'm wondering if there's somebody been a blessing to you. Have you told them? We're going to do that in just a minute when we stand to sing an invitation. We'll talk about that later. A lot of people have poured their, their lives into my ministry, Pastor. I just have time for one story. I remember the night I was reintroduced to Robert. I was preaching a revival and I noticed there was a man standing over the side as I was greeting people after the service. So I knew he wanted to talk and I made my way over there to him. And as I stuck out my hand, he said, Pastor, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, well, no, I don't. I, I must confess that I see a lot of people and I see a lot of faces, but I, 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 I know who you are, but I don't know 
exactly who you are. Would you mind telling me? And he said, Pastor, I understand. Don't worry about it. But about 20 years ago from that night we were talking, you led me to the Lord and you baptized me and you were my pastor for a couple of weeks, but then you left for school and that's what I did. I, I pastored before seminary, during seminary, and after seminary. And he said, so pastor, I've come, uh, Brother Ron, I've come this way because i got a story to tell you. And I said, Brother, go right ahead. He said, when you came to our church all those years ago, I remember your first vacation Bible school. My little girls went. And they got gloriously saved. And they came home to get mom and daddy to do the same thing. My wife took the, the hook, all hook, line, and sinker, but not me. See, I, 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 I respected what my girls were doing, and I never stopped them from going to church, but the weekends were mine. I loved to hunt. I loved to fish. Mama went. She got saved, but all I did was just kind of stay at home and do my thing. And my girls, my three girls stayed on me for years and years and years and years. Finally, one Father's Day, I stopped my girls and I said, hey, girls, I'm going to give you a Father's Day present. I'm going to go to church with you Sunday. Oh, you should have seen their faces, Brother Ron. Oh, they were smiling from ear to ear, jumping up and down, hugging me. But then when they calmed down, I said, but understand something. I'm going to go one time and don't bother me ever again. So Father's Day came and true to my word, I, I went to church with them. We found our way on the back row. Brother Ron, you were preaching and I remember I was in trouble when you got up and said, well... God had changed your message from a typical Father's Day message and he's burdened a message and burned it in your heart. And you preached that instead. You know what you preached on that day, Brother Ron? I said, no, I don't. And he said, you preached on Calvary and you took us down that road and that journey where Jesus bled and suffered and died on the cross for my sins. Brother Ron, I was spellbound. I... I couldn't take miles off of you. I couldn't daydream. I listened to every word. And you gave us the invitation afterwards to give our hearts and lives to Christ. And I found my feet moving. And I came down the aisle. And I met you down here. And I took you by the hand. And I said, Brother Ron, I want to get saved. But then I said these words. But Brother Ron, I love my alcohol. So if you think I'm going to give that up, just let me know right now. If i got to give that up to do this thing called Christianity, I'm just going to go back to my seat and we'll part ways. You remember what you told me? And I said, no, I don't remember what I told you that night, but I know what I would tell you if you came to me this morning. He said, what was that? Or, or tonight, what, what was that, Brother Ron? What would you tell me? I said, you give your heart and life to Jesus. He'll take care of your alcohol. Amen. Brother Ron, that's exactly what you told me. I got gloriously saved that night. It was custom that whenever my girls would come home from church in the past, I'd have lunch with them. And then I'd retire to my easy chair and I'd pop a top and I'd drink a couple, never would get drunk in front of my girls. I'd watch NASCAR or, or football or whatever was on the television and then I'd usually fall off asleep. So I only did what was custom. I went to the refrigerator and I grabbed a beer and I popped the top and I took a swig and that was the worst tasting stuff that had ever touched my lips. 
So I figured it was a bad beer, so I poured it down the sink, and I got another one, and it tasted worse than the first one. So I figured it was just a bad batch. So I went to another six-pack and got a brand new one, and it tastes worse than the first two. So I took all my beer and I poured it down the sink and I never drank another drop up into this moment that I'm standing with you. But Pastor, Brother Ron, that's not why I come to talk to you tonight. I made a commitment to live my life for Jesus. You went off to school. And a few weeks later, I got transferred in my job to another city and I told my family, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to find a Bible-believing preaching church and we did. And I just couldn't get enough of Jesus. I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. And, 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 and I sat and I learned. And the next thing you know, I'm teaching a little boy's class. The next thing you know, I'm singing in the choir. The next thing you know, the church made me a deacon and I was growing in the Lord. And Brother Ron, it happened. God called me to preach his glorious gospel. And you know what I did, Brother Ron? I uprooted my family and I went to Bible school and I graduated and I became an associate pastor. And now I am pastoring a Baptist church about three hours from here. And Brother Ron, I've come this far to tell you, don't you ever quit sharing Jesus. And can I just say thank you for telling me about the greatest person in all the world who changed my life from head to toe. Hey, hey, folks, I got a question for you. You reckon that story blessed my heart that night? Oh, it didn't just make my day. It made my lifetime, man. And as far as I know, old Robert's still pastoring that little church out in the woods. My GPS couldn't find it a few years ago when I went there to pastor. But guess what? God knows where it is, and God knows who Robert is, and that's all that matters. As I scan this chapter, Pastor, I, I don't see a lot of familiar names that are Bible heroes. Erastus, I, I, I verse 20, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Eubulus, verse 21, he wasn't a prophet, major or minor. Carpus, verse 13, he never wrote a book in the Bible. I got to admit to you, verse number 12, I never heard of Tychicus before I prepared this sermon. And the only Linus that I've ever known is the one in the Charlie Brown cartoon. <laughs> but can I just tell you, Paul, who knew who they were, and more importantly, God knew who they were. And I want to encourage somebody. You may think you don't do much in the kingdom of God. Brother Ron, I can't sing like Brother Troy or this gifted choir. I don't have the gift to play these instruments like this wonderful band. And I certainly can't preach like Brother John. So I guess what I do ain't a whole lot and doesn't mean a whole lot in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you that's the biggest lie that the enemy tries to get you to believe? Because the truth is everybody in the body is somebody. And where would we be without all these people? Where would we be without the ushers? You may think all you do is shake hands and show people to their seat and give them a worship bulletin or take up the offering. How do you know that there wasn't somebody who came to Hillcrest one day and sat out in the parking lot and sat there 20 minutes crying their eyes out, shaking to death, afraid to come in here. But they made the decision to come in and the first smile they saw was your face and it made them want to come on in and they heard the word of God and it changed their life. What about you preschool worker or children's worker? I know you think you're only here for crowd control or teach a little Bible lesson or maybe hold the children together during children's church until the big church is over. How do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that somebody's life wasn't changed by the little Bible message or Bible story that you gave? So as far as I'm concerned, what you do in there is just as important as what this guy does or what this guy does every Sunday when we preach the gospel. And where would we be 
without my favorite group in the church, middle schoolers and high schoolers. Experts tell us we got about 12 seconds to engage them or we're going to lose them because they've got ADD or they're in la-la land thinking about some boy or some girl or their nose is stuck in their phone. Can I tell you about that group? They dress funny. And they have mannerisms that I'm not familiar with. And they talk real fast, faster than me. And I can't understand them. But every summer I get to hang out with hundreds of them in summer camps and back to school bashes and Bible conferences. And I'll never forget pastor at a Bible conference just last summer. And I went back to this church I'd been to before and some student, he's about 18 or 19 now. I remember him a few years ago at the same church that I went to. He looked like the light was on, but nobody was home. He looked like I didn't get through much less anybody else, but he came running up to me and he said, guess what, Brother Ron, I just got accepted to Moody Bible Institute. I surrendered my heart to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, 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 we don't know, man. So we just continue to give them the word of God and one day Jesus gets a hold of them and it's never, ever the same. So watch this child of God. Whether you're plugging in or plugging along or you, you're trying to renew or you're trying to restart or maybe you just need to recommit. Whatever you do, keep going. Don't stop. Don't walk away. Don't give up because everybody needs you. Somebody needs you and everybody needs Jesus. So first of all, we must never give up because of the people around us. I wanted to spend a little bit more time with the first one. I won't be near as long as the second or the third point, but hang in there and listen. Watch this. First of all, we must never give up because of the people around us. Second of all, we must never give up because of the purpose that is before us. I won't reread verses 6 through 8 again. Pastor, what a moment that is, though. It's a mantle-changing moment. It's a passing the torch moment. It's an Elijah to Elisha moment. It's a Moses to Joshua moment. The elder statesman Paul is handing the torch to young Timothy. And he says, I've come to the end. I've run my race. It's time for you to run yours. See, the setting of our scripture is death row. Paul is in the execution chamber. He's about to lose, uh, he's, he, he, he's locked up. He's about to head to the execution chamber where he's going to lose his head literally for his service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he turns to young Timothy and he tells them, pick up the torch and go with it and fulfill the purpose that you have on your life. Can I talk to you for a moment? Everybody has a purpose for being here. Jesus had a purpose. His purpose was to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Have you ever thought about what your purpose is? While you're thinking of yours, I always think of mine. To do something I never had any intentions of doing, even though I came from a family of preachers. A job that is sometimes tedious and tiresome. Travel that is extensive and exhausting. Brother John, I think about all those 
people that I pastored and how I must have disappointed them when they didn't get the pastor they wanted. I can't tell you how many times I've been criticized even now for my preaching. I'm too long or too lively or I talk too fast or I sling sweat and spit too much. And with every criticism, I just think about my purpose. That I'm a mouthpiece for God. And that somebody, somebody may not hear the greatest message of truth unless I open up my mouth and tell them that I might be the only Jesus that they ever see. So listen, please understand and I'm sure age has a lot to do with I've lost all kind of patience with people who come to me that are once were serving Jesus and say, I'm no longer serving him because somebody hurt my feelings. I know people are difficult to work with sometimes and I know the ministry is hard. And if you don't believe it is, go to Ephesians 6 sometimes and read those pieces of armor that we got to put on every day. The first piece is not a party hat, it's a helmet. Because that's not a picnic out there, that's a battle. Or reread some of the stories in the Word of God like Daniel chapter 3. Y'all remember that story? That arrogant king built a statue of himself 90 feet tall, laden it with pure gold, put it in the city square so that people could see it every day. He even had a celebration ceremony where when the orchestra sounded, everybody was going to bow down and pay homage. The Babylonian Philharmonic Orchestra was there that day. And they sounded their instruments and everybody bowed down, but three, are you ready? Three teenage boys. King was pretty ticked off, stopped the ceremony and called them up. He said, boys, I don't know whether you were out of town or didn't get the memo. So I'll give you one more opportunity to run along out there and we'll strike up the instruments again. Do you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old. It's found in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Don't turn there, read it later. I'll just give you the quorum translation, okay? One of them said, King, we don't need to answer you. Hello. But since you ask... We believe that the God we serve is able to deliver us from that burning fiery furnace. You're getting ready to throw us in. And then verse 18 said these words. But if he chooses not to, hello, we'd rather burn up for him than bow down to you. Doesn't sound like a bunch of boys that have a tr trouble serving their Lord if a boat didn't go their way at the church. Doesn't sound like a bunch of boys that would walk out and never come back if somebody took the last chicken wing at the Wednesday night dinner. Sounds like a bunch of boys that were sold out to serve Jesus with all their heart. Can I make an announcement? It may sound rough and I apologize for the roughness, but here's the bottom line. It ain't about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ and the purpose that we have to serve him. Before I give you point three, and this last one's a good one. Pastor, I don't know if church homecomings are big in Tennessee, but they're huge in Florida. 
all day singing and dinner on the ground. I was invited one recently and one of my favorite things I love to do in travel is to meet the man of God. Didn't know Pastor John. By the way, can I just say something? I've hung out with both Pastor John and Miss Julie and y'all are blessed. Y'all are blessed. Y'all are blessed. I don't know if you heard me. Y'all are blessed. And so I met with the pastor before the service and I knocked on his office door. Somebody told me that's where he was and the door flew open. And the pastor was crying and had his face buried in his hands and I was embarrassed and he was embarrassed and I said, Pastor, I, I can come back. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. And he got his composure together and, and I said, Pastor, why don't you talk to me? Tell me what's going on. No, you're about to preach, Brother Ron. I don't want to disturb that. I said, listen, I'm here for you. You tell me what's going on. It's silly, not silly enough to bring those tears. Tell me what's going on. Well, Brother Ron, our fellowship hall is small. In fact, it's so small, all we can put is a horizontal table and put the food on and a vertical table and put the tea and the desserts on. And people come by and get their food, they get their drink, they get their desserts, they go to some other place on the grounds and they eat. Brother Ron, I haven't been here very long, but I noticed it took forever to feed the crowds because here's, here's, here's what the problem was, is they weren't cutting up the desserts and putting them on little plates. And so the people would have to pick out the dessert, cut them up, put them on the plate, grab the plate with their food and go eat. And so Wednesday night passed. I'm pushing this big day homecoming and Brother Ron's going to be with us and let, let, let's come. But I'm just wondering if we might could just cut up those desserts and put them on little plates. Brother Ron, there was a gasp in the crowd like I had shot somebody's mother. One of the leaders of our church stood up and said, Pastor, you haven't been here that long, so I, I think you need to be educated. We not only have the finest cooks in, in, in this country, we have the finest bakers, and they've won blue ribbons at county fairs, and People come from miles around just to see Aunt Zula's chocolate cake, much less eat it. And boy, Lula Bell's, Sister Lula Bell's coconut pie is just something to behold. And if you cut them up and put them on little plates, it's going to make a lot of people angry. In fact, I know about 50 of us, all you have to do is say that's what you're going to do. And we're going to walk out now and we'll never be back. Pastor, people dying and going to hell. And we're worried about whether we're going to cut up little desserts and put them on plates. I've been going to church all my life, nine months before I was ever born. been going a long time. I've heard every reason in the world why people quit church. I believe I got one for every letter of the alphabet. You don't believe me? A, apathy, B, burnout, C, criticism, D, discouragement, E, exhaustion, F, failure, G, griping, H, heartache, I, indifference, J, jealousy, K, knew too much, L, laziness, M, money, and nerves, O, obligations, P, pressure, Q, quarrels, R, relatives, S, stress, T, tensions, U, unconcern, V, vendettas, W, weariness, X, excuses, Y, yielding to temptation, Z, the zeal is gone. I believe I could go through the alphabet again. After all, I got a new D, desserts. <laughs> but can I tell you what was wrong with that list I just went through? There are distractions that keep us, our eyes off of what is the main thing. And that's the person of Jesus and the race that we're supposed to run. Isn't it amazing? We can get mad at the job, but we're not going to quit. We're going to go back the next day. 
Somebody blow their horn in a traffic jam and tell us we're number one. <laughs> and we'll be back in that traffic jam tomorrow. We get cussed out at a ball game for wearing the other team's colors and wear somebody's alcohol home because they couldn't control theirs. But we'll go back to that stadium. We'll let something go wrong and we'll quit serving God in his church. I feel a sermon coming on. It wasn't brother so-and-so that died on the cross for our sins. It was Jesus. He's the one that we're to sell out to. Here's the one that we're to serve. We are soldiers of the cross and we are followers of the Lamb. And my energies are to be counted in the cost it takes to follow Him, not in worrying about somebody else. My battles aren't with you. There was somebody that hates my guts and wants me to quit. We should never run head on into one another because we're running in the same direction for the glory of God. So I'm going to give you point three, but before I do, i got to give you a good word. Don't turn to it, write it down, read it later. It's Psalms 119, 165. You know what it says? Great peace of they which love is law, and nothing should cause us to stumble. I think I'm going to say that again. Great peace of they which love is law, and nothing's going to get us distracted. Translated, great truths come from the Word of God, and if we'll just follow them, nothing will cause us to give up. So you know what? The next time the enemy or somebody tries to do that, just quote that verse to them, great peace of they which love his law, and nothing will cause me to stumble. Make it personal. Great peace of they which love his law, and nothing will cause me to quit. Brother Ron, you don't know what somebody said to me. No, I don't, but I know great peace of they which love his law, and nothing will cause me to stumble. Brother Ron... I wasn't elected a deacon when I thought I should be. I'm pretty, pretty upset. I'm sorry. Great peace of they which love his law. And nothing will cause me to stumble. Brother Ron, they made me cut up my desserts and put them on little plates. <laughs> I think I'm going to quit church and never come back. Don't do that. Great peace of they which love his law. And nothing should cause me to stumble. I don't like loud preachers. Great peace have they which love his law and nothing will cause us to stumble. Folks, why don't we decide to get our eyes off of everybody and put them on Jesus where they belong? Got one more, got one more. First of all, we should never give up because of the people around us. We should never give up because of the purpose that is before us. And if you don't have those first two, you got this one and you should never give up. I should never give up because of the person that lives in me. Paul, verse 17, the Lord stood with me when no one else would. Verse 18, the Lord delivered me from all evil work. Hey, 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 guess who had every reason to quit but did not and went all the way to the cross? And aren't you glad? He went to those disciples suffering such agony that the veins rose to the surface of his skin and burst and he was bleeding yet he found him asleep three times moments later there was a rustling in the garden and one of the ones he called turned him in for a crime he didn't commit they took him away and beat him until he was unrecognizable as a human being according to Isaiah they spit on him and they mocked 
his holy name. And they gave him a cross to carry to his own death. And when he got to that place, only one disciple was there. The other 11 had run away. And his own father had to turn his face away because he couldn't look upon sin. Yet he did not quit. And even when he said it is finished, he didn't die a victim. He died a victor because three glad, glorious, shouting hallelujah days later, he rose from the grave. And that's why I can't give up, Brother John. Somebody needs Jesus. That's why I can't give up because the gospel must be preached to the big churches and the little churches, the dead churches and the live churches, the churches that care and the churches that don't care because the one who went all the way and never quit deserves my total dedication. So church leader, lead like you've never led before. Sunday school teacher, teach like you've never taught before. Deacon, deek. Like you've never deeped before. I have no idea what that means. But do it anyway. Because of the person that lives in, in you. Can we stand to our feet all over?